Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoy today's message. If you were here uh, earlier in the service, we... We began uh, this Shabbat service uh, a little uh, after we started. We had a Torah reading, and we read from Sefer Shemot, the book of Exodus. Sefer means book. Shemot means the book of names. And the Hebrew title for this book is Shemot, which means names. Can you say Shemot? Very good. Which means names. It's the plural for the word Shem. And we're more familiar in English with calling this book the book of Exodus. That's how we refer to it. It comes from a different language base, but the, the, the title, the Hebrew title of the second book of the Torah is Shemot. It comes from Exodus chapter 1. That name comes from Exodus or Shemot chapter 1 verse 1, where it says, Ve'ele Shemot, and these are the names, Shemot names. These are the names of the children of Israel who came to Egypt each man in his household came with Yaakov, with Jacob. That's how the book of Exodus starts. And so the Hebrew way of uh, describing the book of Exodus is, the, is names. And these are the names of the children of Israel. And of course, the English language way of talking about uh, the book of Exodus is the word Exodus, which means the going forth from. The, in Hebrew, it would be Yetziat Mitzrayim, the going forth from. Mitzrayim, the going forth from Egypt. But I think it's curious and interesting that the Hebrew title comes from the second word in the Hebrew, which is Shemot, which is names. Whereas the English title or the English way of reckoning this second book of the Torah, the second book of the Bible, has to do with the going forth, the action, the, the event. The Hebrew title has to do with the people, the names. How many, know, how many of you know that names can be very important? You realize that when someone calls you some names you don't like, I hope that never happens to you, you realize, uh, well, isn't there a saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words, names, however you were taught it, cannot hurt me. And, uh, you know, actually, the, the, the saying of you know, words can hurt us, can't they? But names can be extremely important. There was a song, many of you remember the old Johnny Cash song, A Boy Named Sue? <laughs> Way back when, when he originally uh, gave that song out, that was very unusual. Nowadays, I don't know, but it was A Boy Named Sue. <laughs> And it was a, a, a funny song, etc. I was never a Johnny Cash fan, but that title got me, A Boy Named Sue. But in the Bible, names are very significant. And I love the fact that the Hebrew title for the second book of the Torah is Shemot, 
names. There's nothing wrong with the, the other, the English language uh, derivation of Exodus, which emphasizes the event of Yetziat Mitzrayim going out from Egypt. But names emphasizes the people. The people, these, now these are the names, Ve'ele Shemot, these are the names of the children of Israel. Nowadays, some tend to name their children, let me, let me say this nicely, impulsively. <laughs> impulsively. And not thinking about consequences. Now, that has never happened here, I'm sure. It has never happened here. It's always out there where it happened. But some of you may recall the hippie movement way back when. And when I was in Bible school, there were several people that had been named during the beatnik movement. And their names, I'm not going to say them, but their names were really like, where did these names come from? What, you know, what were their parents doing when they, what were they thinking? And names, you're kind of, uh, the hippie movement, there, there was a, uh, a recent era, if you're not familiar with the hippie movement, the recent era of the hippie movement left its mark on many people, probably including myself growing up in that era. But during that time, some of the children were named some very spurious names. I want to give you an example. There's one influential rock musician, and I'm not going to mention his name. But there's one influential rock musician who is also a very talented songwriter. And he and his wife, his wife in the 1960s, they married and they ended up having four children. And I'll tell you the names they gave to the four children during that hippie movement. And this may give it away to some of you who I'm referring to, but the first child, their firstborn, they named with two, two words, moon unit. Moon unit. How many know who I'm talking about now? All right. The first child was named moon unit. And some of you are expecting children, and I'm, maybe this is a word for you to stick to the Bible or something, but... And then it got worse. Their second child, they named Dweezil. Dweezil. D-W-E-E-Z-I-L. The third child, they named Ahmed. A-H-M-E-T. And the last one, I guess they really thought highly of their little daughter. They called her Diva. Diva. D-I-V-A. And by the way, the firstborn child, Moon Unit, that was the first name. The first name was with two names, two words. Moon Unit went ahead a little later in life, and she legally changed her first name. She lopped off the word unit, and she went by the name Moon and put unit as her middle name. <laughs> and I won't mention the last name. But she legally changed her name, her first name, to Moon and her middle name became Unit. <laughs> so, and there's another famous musician and his actress wife, and you will know this person. I'm not going to mention their names. Since we're talking about names, I'm not going to mention their names. But you would know both of them. They're very famous. And they, they, they were, had a, finally they were married, and they had a daughter in 2004. He's a very big rock star. She's a very big actress, and they married, they had a child, and they decided that they were going to name their child Apple, A-P-P-L-E. Who knows who I'm talking about now? All right. If you don't, don't look it up now. We don't do, we don't do that here. We pay attention. But in a TV interview, since we're talking about names, let's talk about the name Apple. 
In a TV interview, the actress who was being interviewed explained where the name Apple came from for their daughter. And I want to read you an exact quote of what she said during the interview. She said, quote, when we, first, when we were first pregnant, her daddy said, if it's a girl, I think her name should be Apple. It doesn't say if he was there biting a Macintosh or anything like that or, uh, or something like that, or a yellow delicious. But if it's a girl, I think her name should be Apple. And she continued saying in the interview, it sounded so sweet and it conjured such a lovely picture for me, you know. Apples are so sweet and they're wholesome and it's biblical, end of quote. And I started thinking about the biblical part, as you might have also when you heard this. And I thought, thankfully for baby Apple, her parents didn't choose other biblical terms like brimstone, <laughs> damnation, or the beast for her name, because she would really be tagged, wouldn't she? So Apple comes out to be okay. I don't know what her nickname would be, Appy. I don't know what it would be. And name changes, names are important. Names are important. Biblically, they're very important. But name changes remain very common now, even in Hollywood. And there are many Jewish stars who have changed their names. For example, Israeli Sabra, Natalie Portman. Her real name is Natalie Hirschlag. I think Portman's a good change there, Yeah. <laughs> You may have heard of someone named Winona Ryder. How many have heard of Winona Ryder, actress, uh, singer, etc.? But her actual name, her given name, her, her name in real life is Winona Laura Horowitz. And there's a famous actor whose son was named Michael Douglas, but his name was Kirk Douglas. He's passed on. His given name, his birth name was Isor Danielovich. And he changed it to Kirk Douglas. How many think that was a good change right there? <laughs> there. So for the most part, such name changes were they were done for, you know, for business or professional purposes. But then there's this other one. And I have to share this with you. There's this strange case of Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> Whoopi Goldberg was born in 1955 in Manhattan, New York City. And her given name that her parents gave to her was Corinne Elaine Johnson. Now, she explained several times, and there's still some, like, shadowy stuff there. We're not sure what, I mean, this idea of maybe there was a Goldberg somewhere back in her family. All that, she's never really signed up for that, but there's speculation about that. But according to one reputable source, entertainment source, Corinne was called Whoopi as a practical joke related to the cushion. And then later, Whoopi's mother thought that the last name Johnson stood no chance of achieving success in Hollywood, but that the name Goldberg... Goldberg did stand the chance in Hollywood. But whatever the truth is this, of this is, Corinne Elaine Johnson is now used, universally known as Whoopi Goldberg. But you know what? God knows her real name. 
just as God knows our real name. He knows who we are. Name represents something. Name represents character. Name represents something. And biblically, I'm so thankful that we, as we read the scripture, even as we read about the sons of Jacob who are referenced in Exodus chapter 1, verse 1 and forward, we can go back into the book of Bereshit, the book of Genesis, and see why each of the sons of Jacob were named what they were named. Each of their names had meaning to them. For example, Benjamin, Benjamin, son of my right hand, rather than the name his mother wanted to give was Benoni, the son of my affliction and suffering there. And you're welcome to check that out. But it's not just Hollywood. I mean, baseball's another place. Baseball players have some of the most unusual nicknames. Have you ever had a nickname? How many of you have had a nickname in your life? Most of us have. <laughs> Talk amongst yourself later, don't own egg, and discover what they are. <laughs> I'm not telling you any of mine, but I'll tell you that right now. But nicknames are especially common among baseball players. Let me mention a few of them. Sparky. Yogi. Lefty, red, and I love this last one, lippy, lippy. <laughs> you know, those are actual nicknames of Hall of Fame baseball players. And, and they're, they're, the nickname stuck so much to them that we, we even forget what their real name was. Who knows what the real name of Lefty Gomez was? Probably no one here. But their nickname stuck to them. Now, I've said all this kind of humorously because I really want to tunnel in on something here about names. Scripture talks much about names. If you look up the word name or names in a Strong's Concordance, you'll see hundreds of references. Hundreds. But I want to remind you of what Scripture says about names, at least a little a portion of what Scripture says about names. For example, the Lord approaches names very differently than we might flippantly in our society or in our culture or in the hippie movement or in Hollywood. The Lord's quite serious about names. How about this passage in Yeshayahu, Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1? But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. And then he says this, I have called you by your name. You are mine. And there's a parallel text to this. It's in Yochanan, John chapter 10, beginning with verse 3. And I'd invite you to read the context of both of these scriptures. They're, they're quite fascinating. But in this section about the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, part of it says the sheep hear his voice in John chapter 10, verse 3. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep, how? By name. He calls them by name. And that, that means a lot because it says that he knows them well enough. He, has, he sees them. He knows them. He knows you by name today. Now, you might have a nickname, and you might have a funny name, and you might be a lefty or a ready or a lippy or whatever. But God knows who you really are. He knows who we really are. He knows our real character because name and character are connected in Scripture. He knows how we really are. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and then notice what it says, and leads them out leads them. Are you willing to be led by the good shepherd or do you want to lead the good shepherd? 
Do you want to follow the Messiah or do you want to follow something else? Someone says, well, I just want to follow Torah. I just want to follow this. I just No, Yeshua, one of his first statements was two words. Were two words, follow me, he said. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. And when he brings them out, in verse 4 of Yohanan 10, when he brings them out, his, when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them. Do you notice he doesn't go behind them? He goes before them, and his sheep do what? And the sheep follow him, for they what? Know his voice. Know his voice. In Scripture, as you carefully read Scripture, the hundreds of references to names. And there are particularly many references to the name of the Lord, Shem Adonai, the name of the Lord. As you read, the general rule is that name is given to an individual by someone in authority. For a child that's born, it's a parent. It was the parent who named the daughter Apple. <laughs> it's, it, were, it was the parents who named the daughter Moon Unit, you know. And, you know, this is a serious matter for us. When you, when you, for those of you who've had children, I know Miriam and I, we've had three children. Uh, she did most of the work on that, but three children. But name, we took it very seriously how to call our children, what to name them. And we, in each case, we wanted to go to what Scripture said about that name. We, for our oldest son, we had a particular name for him. It was a Hebrew name, and it was a biblical name that went back into the Tanakh. And then we were pretty well decided on a name. I won't mention that name, but we were decided on that name. At that time, we had immigrated to Israel. We were living in Israel, etc. It would fit very well in Israel. But then when I studied the Scripture deeper about that individual, when we studied it deeper, we realized, no, we don't necessarily want our son to be named that name. Because the character of the person, although the name was beautiful for our son, would have been beautiful, but the character wasn't as sterling as we wanted. Because name and character come together. A good name is better than what? Fine gold. Good character is better than fine gold there. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him for they know his name. And he is the one who is Lord. He's the good shepherd. And in the scripture, it seems like each name has a, a, you know, an important relevance to it, an important meaning to it. And sometimes in the Bible... Certain names have great prophetic significance. You know, take, for example, probably the most common example was Yeshayahu's son, Isaiah's son. Maher Shalal Hashbaz. Now there's a mouthful right there. <laughs> I've often wondered what was his nickname. If he had a nickname, was it Harry, Bazi? I don't know. But that was his name, and it was a prophetic name. Swift of the booty, speedy to pray. It was a prophetic name. But then when I read about Maher Shalal Hashbaz in the book of Isaiah, the naming of his son, then I marvel at what happened with Hosea and Gomer, his wife. In Hosea chapter 1, verse 4, the first child of Hosea, 
Then Adonai said to Hosea, Name him Yisrael, Jezreel, for in yet a little while I will visit the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu, and I will destroy the kingdom of the house of Israel. In that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. There Hosea and his wife, they were told, Hosea was told, Name your child this. And that child became a prophetic picture. The name that they called that child was a prophetic statement there. But there's more with Hosea. If you read the book Hosea, it's, it's a marvel what happened with Hosea. First of all, the fact that he married Gomer is a, is a marvel because she was a loose woman, it says. But he marries her by the decree of the Lord. But then in the very same chapter in Hosea chapter 1, we read in verse 6, then Gomer conceived again. So the first child was named Yisrael, Jezreel. And it had prophetic significance to his time and to his prophetic ministry at that time in the land of Israel. Then Gomer conceived again and bore this time a daughter. And the Lord said to him, name her Lo Ruchamah. Lo Ruchamah. For no longer will I have compassion on the house of Israel that I should ever pardon them. But on the house of Judah I will have compassion and deliver them by Adonai their God. And yet not by bow, sword, or battle, nor by horses and horsemen. So then the daughter became a prophetic statement. Every time her name was called by her parents, there was this prophetic statement, Lo Hamah, Lo Hamah. And as you might guess, if you read Hosea chapter 1, it doesn't stop there with the naming of the children. <laughs> There's still more to come. It's in, in Hosea chapter 1, and it's in verse 8. After Gomer weaned Lo Hamah, she conceived again and she bore a son. Then the Lord said, name him Lo-Ami, for you are not my people and I'm not yours. These are prophetic statements concerning the northern tribes of Israel. Prophetic statements. And there they were. The children of Hosea were bearing on their own person. Every time their name is called out, there's this prophetic statement being made. There are such beautiful names like Hannah, grace, faith, hope. So many beautiful names. In this case, they were very difficult names, hard names that Hosea and his wife were to give their children. And you know what? They actually did it. They didn't veto. When it says, no, they didn't say, no, Lord, we don't like that name. They actually named their children that. Prophetic statement. And, you, and we may think, well, this, this concept's strange. I mean, how strange to name a child with a prophetic statement that's not even that positive. But you may be surprised to know that the new covenant speaks in similar terms. And Paul reminded the believers in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning with verse 2, you know what he says to them? And who knows what he was thinking when he said this under the inspiration of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. He says to the Corinthians, who were not in the best shape spiritually, if you read the letters, there are some issues there, says, you are our letter written on our hearts, known and then this, and read by everyone. 
Hosea had children and their names were prophetically given. But we, he speaks to the Corinthians by implication to us. There's some reading of us going on in this world around us. You are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. And he continues in verse 3 of 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And it is clear that you are a letter from Messiah delivered by us. Written not with ink, but with the Ruach, the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. What's written on your heart today? You know, God is working in his people, and he's writing his Torah, his instructions on our heart that we might obey him, that we might be sheep who follow the shepherd, that in this coming year, 2024, we will grow in our ability to follow him and to hear his voice and to respond to his will. And you know, friends, no matter where you're circulating in this great metroplex, people are reading you. They're reading our lives. They see what's happening with us. They see how we deal with circumstances and trials and tribulations. They see how we deal with success and prosperity. They see it. And they also can determine if they watch us close enough what's really important to us. It's written on us. What's important to us, and I hope and pray here this day, those reading our lives will see that Yeshua the Messiah is the most important thing to us. That it's Messiah and Him crucified, Him risen from the dead, and Him as Lord of our lives. I hope that when they read our lives, when they read us, so to say, that they don't see a person that's rebellious and disloyal and greedy and stingy and, 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 and above all, they don't see a hypocrite. But may others see in us with the ups and downs of this life that Rabbi Carl referred to. May they see in us during the ups and downs of this life, may they see in us that Yeshua is real and true in our lives. That he truly is, as we say so often here, he's the Lord of our lives. May they see it when we go through the tribulations that we do. And you know what? We all go through them. Sometimes the variables are different. But we all go through trials and testings. How many of you can honestly say, looking back now to 2023, that you went through some trial and tests in 2023? You can, can we please raise your hand? I have my hand up. <laughs> Maybe I should ask, how many of you can say that you didn't go through any trial or test last year? And if, you did, if there's anyone, I'd like to get your prayers later for me personally. <laughs> But what did people read in us when we went through these things? What did they read about us when we prospered? What did they see? What did they read? What was the living epistle that we were showing them when we were going through a tough time? Could they see that Yeshua was Lord when we prospered? Can they see that Yeshua was Lord when we had trouble? I hope so. I hope they saw him. Because, you know, when you think about when we dive deeper into Scripture and we we realize that names are an indicator, an indicator of character. They're an indicator of function. They can be an indicator of destiny. 
And when, when it comes to character, function, and destiny, <laughs> there is one name that is above every other name. Yeshua the Messiah. He's incomparable. There's no one on his level. Think about it. Let's go back and consider when he was named. We talked about Whoopi Goldberg, and we talked about, you know, uh, the, the, the Natalie Portman and others. But let, what happened with Yeshua's name? It's in Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now, the birth of Yeshua the Messiah happened this way. When his mother Miriam, commonly called Mary, but correctly Miriam, was engaged to Yosef, to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, and the next phrase is a key one here, Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man. Do you know how this text changed if it says Joseph was an unrighteous man? But it declares, you could read the epistle in his life, you can read his character. Joseph was a righteous man, and not wanting to disgrace Miriam publicly, made up his mind to dismiss her secretly. But while he considered these things, behold, a malach Adonai, an angel of Adonai, appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, and notice the first word, Joseph. Called him by name, Joseph. And you know what else he said? Ben David, Yosef Ben David, Joseph, son of David. Do not be afraid to take Miriam. Did you notice he also knew Miriam's name? Do not be afraid to take Miriam as your wife. For the child conceived in her is from the Ruach HaKodesh. She will give birth to a son. It says. And you shall call his name Yeshua, for he will Yoshia. He will save his people from their sins. Verse 22, now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by Adonai through the prophet saying, behold the virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son and they shall call his name what? Emmanuel, with us is God. God with us. God is with us. So Yeshua is God with us which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up from his sleep, here's another key point in this text. When Joseph woke up from his sleep, he did as the angel of Adonai commanded him and took Miriam as his wife. Suppose he said, no, I don't want to do this. I'm my own man. I do what I want. I don't need to follow anybody. And he did what he was told to do. But he did not know her intimately. He didn't have relationship with her until she had given birth to a son. And you know, here's the key point here. And he called his name Yeshua. All through this text, we don't have time to go into further, but contemplate this. All through this text, there are points where obedience and disobedience make a big difference. Joseph could have just said, no, I don't want to pay attention to this intervention from you through the, the angel of the Lord. No, I don't want to name him Yeshua. I want to name him something else. But in each case, Joseph, who was described, if you read his life, he's described as a righteous man. In each case, he follows and does what the Lord says to do. And isn't that the secret in our life? To follow and do what the Lord says to do. 
And Scripture shows that Yeshua's character was absolutely blameless. We call him the lamb without blemish. He was the lamb without blemish, spotless. He was blameless in all his ways. He was without sin, and he willingly laid down his life for you and me today. He did it willingly. No one took his life from him. He did it willingly. And though modern scholars, theological scholars in particular, they arrogantly try to find fault with Yeshua. Looking back 2,000 years, they try to find fault with him. They try to find fault with his words. They try to find fault with his ways. But you know, it's ironic, but those who walk closely with him, they didn't find fault with him. Those who were walking side by side when, on, on the pathways up from Jericho to Jerusalem and in the Galilee, going around in the Galilee, they walked with him closely. They ate with him. They talked with him. They saw him. They watched him. They read him. They found no fault in him. But modern theologians do, don't they? I mean, maybe they know better, and I'm being facetious when I say that. Yeshua rose from the dead. His blamelessness is a sure sign of his divinity. And the empty tomb, the empty grave is a sure sign of his divinity. That's why we call him the Lord Yeshua. And I pray and hope that if I read your life, I see Yeshua is Lord of my life. And if I read your life in the middle of a trial, Yeshua is Lord of my life. If I read you your life in the middle of a great success in your life, Yeshua is Lord of my life. And may that text, may that message, may that name on us never change, that Yeshua is Lord of our lives. Because that's who he is. And to state it succinctly, guess what, friends? whether your name's Apple or whether it's a moon unit or, or whatever your name is, every person's going to have a Yom Dean, a day of reckoning with this Messiah, every person. Blessed are those who know him. In fact, Acts chapter 4, verse 11, Kepha hits the proverbial nail on the head when he, he's, he's a, a proclaiming to an audience in Jerusalem and Jerusalem, and he says, this Yeshua is the stone this Yeshua is the stone. This Yeshua is the stone rejected by you, the builders, that has become the chief cornerstone, the Evan Rosh Pina, the chief cornerstone. And then verse 12, a key verse that we should keep in mind as we reach out to others in this society around us. There is salvation in no one else, for there is what? No other name under heaven. No other name, not moon unit, not apple, no other name. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved, and that's the name of Yeshua. And if we don't proclaim Yeshua, we're not proclaiming the right message. We may think we're helping, but if we're talking to people that don't know him, we need to proclaim Yeshua much more than everything else. We need to proclaim him. Now, notice how a first-century Pharisee described Yeshua's character, <laughs> his function, and his destiny. In Philippians chapter 2, it describes Yeshua. You see his character. You see his function. You see the destiny of our Messiah. He emptied himself, taking on the form of an evid, a slave, becoming the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. 
He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on its slav across the tree, the execution stake. And then verse 9, for this reason, God highly exalted him, and notice this next statement, and gave him <laughs> the name that is above every name. Which name is above every name? The name of Yeshua. There's no parody here. The name of Yeshua is above every name. And, and I know in modern religious circles, they try to put everyone on the same level, you know, to be fair, to be even Stevens, as I like to call it. But no, it's not. They gave him the name. God gave him the name that is above every name. And then it continues in verse 10 of Philippians 2, that at the name of Yeshua, every knee should bow. You know, I'm not ashamed to say that my knee bends to the Messiah. It's, and so it's become almost against Jewish custom to do that. But I'm not ashamed to bend my knee before the Messiah, even here or privately. Every knee should bow in heaven and on the earth and other, under the earth. How many agree that covers about everything right there? And then verse 11, and here's a key point for us in this very vocal world we live in, this media-oriented world we live in, and every tongue profess, profess what? That Yeshua the Messiah is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You want to glorify the Father? Proclaim Yeshua the Lord. May there be written on us, Yeshua is Lord of this life. I'm going through a tough time, but Yeshua is the Lord of my life in this tough time. I'm having great success. Yay, I'm prospering. Yeshua is the Lord of this too. Now, I want to leave you in conclusion. As I mentioned, there are many passages of Scripture that mention name, names, and feel free to look them up. I hope some of you will. But I want to just leave you with five passages that speak about Shem Adonai, the name of the Lord. Five passages that hopefully will inspire us, encourage us, give us some direction as we think about the, the plethora of passages that speak about the Lord and his name. But here's some. The, probably the most well-known is the number one here is Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10, which says, Migdalos Shem Adonai. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. Bo Yarut Sadiq Venizgav. It says, the righteous run to it and are safe. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. How many of you have found that the name of the Lord has been a strong tower in your life? I have. There have been times when I felt the proverbial walls coming in on me, and I ran to the name of the Lord because he's a migdaloz, he's a strong tower. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous, you know what it says? It says, Yarutz. They run. They run, they put some effort some into it. They run to it. And you know what? They're safe. And here's a second one that mentions the name of the Lord. Psalm 103, what a beautiful psalm. Several years ago, I was asked what was my favorite psalm, and I repeatedly said Psalm 103, Psalm 103, Psalm 103. How many of you think Psalm 103 is one of your favorites? I know because some of you have told me that. Well, here's what Psalm 103 says. It's a fantastic psalm, but here's part of it. Bless the Lord, what? Oh, my soul. <laughs> Bless the Lord, oh, my soul. And then it says this, all that is within me. How much? All that's within me. 
Do what? Bless his holy name. <laughs> so if you're busy spouting off about yourself and all the selfish stuff, you're, you're missing an opportunity. You need to be Messiah-centered in your speech and your proclamations. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. And then he repeats it again. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul. And forget not all his benefits. One translation says, forget not even one of his benefits. And it does help us sometimes, doesn't it, to, to do an assessment and say, wow, how has God blessed me? And I think if you start listing that, you know, the old idea of count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. You start listing those things. You'll be surprised. Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is with me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And forget not all his benefits. And uniquely, the psalmist in Psalm 103 then continues and gives five reasons why, in the next few sentences, why we should bless the Lord. He says, who forgives all your iniquities. Is that a reason to bless the Lord? Amen. Who forgives all your iniquities. How about this one? Who heals all your diseases. Is that a reason to bless the Lord? Amen. Who redeems your life from destruction. Is that a reason to bless the Lord? Amen. So be it. Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Is that a reason to bless the Lord? Yes. Who satisfies. I like this next one. Who satisfies your mouth with good things. And I like this next phrase. I like it more and more as the days pass. So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Yay. Is that a reason to bless the Lord? Yes. And you can say it even louder as you get older and older. <laughs> and then a third one, and we can talk a lot about these, but just five. Romans chapter 10, beginning with verse 11. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him, him being Yeshua the Messiah, will not be put to shame. I don't know how many times I've thanked the Lord for that statement. Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Though this society may try to make us look like it's shameful to believe in God. It's what do you need this crutch for and all these things that are said. Whoever believes on him, on Yeshua, not going to be put to shame. Ultimately, when it's all said and done, you're not going to be put to shame. And then verse 12, Romans 10 for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who do what? Who call upon him. Verse 13 ties into our topic here this morning. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you personally called on the name of the Lord? You know that doesn't happen by familial osmosis. By something happens in your family, well, my parents are believers, so by osmosis, I'm a believer too. No, you need a personal relationship with the Lord, calling upon him to be your personal Lord. And frankly, the younger you are, the better. If you do it early in, in age, I'm so thankful for children's ministry we have. And here's a fourth one of five, and we'll conclude. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17 says, is this ever a challenging verse? And whatever you do, in word or deed, whatever you do in word or deed, do what? Do all in the name of the Lord Yeshua, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you're doing, do it all in the name of the Lord Yeshua. And some have said, well, does that mean I can sin in the name of the Lord Yeshua? 
really, if name represents character, you're way out of character for the Lord Yeshua. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Yeshua, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And I'll leave you with this one as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper today. What a wonderful way to start this new year here at Rosh Pina. A Torah service and then the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Rav Shul, as he often did, he questions. He brings up questions. He says, or don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Corinthians, don't you realize that? Don't you know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then he gives this, uh, this warning, don't be deceived. One of several places where he uses the same term. Don't be deceived. And then he makes one of his famous lists. Says the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, those who practice homosexuality, thieves, the greedy, drunkards, slanderers, swindlers, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. So how many of them will inherit the kingdom of God? Those who practice those things? None. Let God be true and all men liars. God's word is true. That is what some of you, and the verb tense here is critical. That is what some of you were. It doesn't say that's what some of you are. These have to be things in the rearview mirror of life for us. We've repented of these things, these and other things that are listed in Scripture. They're in the rearview mirror now. We keep pressing on to the high calling of Messiah. Some of us may have been these things, sexually more idolaters, adulterers, practicing homosexuality, thieves, greedy, drunkards, slanderers, swindlers, and, and all those type of things. Those have to be in the rearview mirror now. They're gone. They're not our life. It's, uh, some of you were this way how this verse changes it says some of you are this way no it has to be things we've repented of and the kingdom of God and the body of Messiah made up wonderfully by the mercy and grace of God of many of us who've come out of many of these type of sins and worse probably that is what some of you were verse 11 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6 but you were washed you were made holy you were set right, how? Notice this, in the name of the Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, and by the Ruach, the Spirit of God. Friends, we should be very thankful for the name of the Lord Yeshua, all that he represents. He's on his throne. He's returning soon. And we need to make sure that what people are reading in our lives is that he's Lord of our lives. And that we're showing it in our words and in our actions that we're not being hypocritical about it. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 1040 a.m. each Shabbat. And we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A. 
www.ahh.org. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.